So do you sell on Etsy or want to sell on Etsy? Uh, A lot has changed since 2008 when I opened my shop. And how do you know these days if you're doing it right? I mean, there's so many different things you can play with, so many variations and attributes and so much competition. Well, you know, I've been there for a long time and I've been playing with my shop and earning money from my shop for over 10 years now and Etsy themselves actually back in 2015 and 16 invited me to teach for them in their Etsy resolution program. Some of you may remember those days of the Etsy resolution program and I really want to help those of you who want to start on Etsy or who want to overhaul your Etsy shop. So I've created a new resource. It's called the Etsy quick start guide and in by using this guide I want to make sure you don't miss any vital steps in the process of setting up a stellar Etsy shop for your handmade creations. So this is a free two-page checklist that covers everything you need to do to ensure you've made your Etsy shop the best it can be. And it's packed full of links to additional resources on all aspects of Etsy shop setup. So to grab your free copy, it's super, super easy. All you need to do is head on over to createandthrive.com forward slash Etsy guide. That's all one word. Createandthrive.com forward slash Etsy guide. And you can get your free copy of this checklist right now. So let's get into this episode. It's a very special episode because this week I'm celebrating four years of running this podcast. This April 16th uh, is the fourth anniversary of the Create and Thrive podcast starting up. And uh, you may have seen I did a call out all over the place this week on social media and on um, my email list for questions because I want to answer some of your questions in this episode today. So this episode 185 is your questions answered. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Hello, hello, lovely survivors, and welcome to this special fourth birthday edition of the podcast. Yes, the podcast is four years old, and I'm celebrating by doing a Q&A episode. I haven't done one of these in a very long time. I should do them more often. What do you reckon? Let me know. Uh, I got quite a lot of questions, <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to be able to answer all of them today. I just want to give a shout out and a thank you to everybody who sent me a question. Uh, the ones I don't get to today, I will endeavor to answer in a future episode. But let's get started, shall we? All right, so our first question is from Lynn Rowe, and she has two shops, uh, Etanilla Blue and Green Tree Ant, and she says this. In working through Setup Shop and Your Year to Thrive, plus listening to many podcasts over the last year or so, I've come to realize that I don't want a full-time business, but rather a paying hobby, i.e. I want to sell what I make so that I can make more. However, given all the things you've talked about, like finding your ideal customer and the sweet spot between what you make and what the customer wants, plus the amount of time required to keep up with marketing and social media, etc., I'm beginning to think that maybe a paying hobby is an oxymoron. What is your take on this? Is it possible to have a paying hobby rather than a full-on business? Or do you have to be super lucky and just happen to make something that lots of people want to buy? 
This is a great question. So let's start out by clarifying what does a paying hobby mean? So you said, you know, sell what I make so that I can sell more. So that sounds like you just want to cover expenses so that you aren't losing money on your hobby, but you're not super worried about and like making money on your hobby. So that is pretty much the definition of a hobby business. Um, I think the Australian tax office kind of says, well, if you're you know, you have a hobby and you sell stuff occasionally, you're not really in business. But if you're making stuff in order to sell it, then you are a business. So that's how they define it. Um, but it could also come down, you know, for those of you listening, it could also come down to the time you spend on it. You know, do you want to only spend part time? Do you want to spend full time? You know, that could be the difference between a hobby and a business to you. Maybe you, you know, really love making stuff but you don't like the business side of things (laughs) Uh, I think this is really common a lot of people make a whole bunch of stuff and think you know people usually someone else says oh that's really awesome you should sell it and the person who made it kind of went goes oh maybe I should sell it maybe maybe that's something I should do maybe that's a good idea and then I can earn a bit more money back and you know, that's how I started. It was literally, I had jewellery piling up around me. Um, why can't I wear all of this? What am I going to do with it? Oh, I know, I'll just sell some and recoup some of my costs. So I'm right there with you. I know exactly what that's like. But the thing to remember is, well, first of all, do you need the business? You know, do you need the, the money? You know, for me, my business, my businesses are my livelihood. I don't have a choice. I have to get up every morning and work on my business and in my business because if I don't, we don't have money to eat and pay the electricity bill, etc. You know, and I'm the sole breadwinner for our family. So I don't have the luxury of deciding whether I want to keep doing it or not. Or, you know, the other option is get a job, you know, so Nick and I could potentially just go out and get jobs and not run businesses anymore. And that goes for you as well. So if you need the money, you've got two options. You can try to sell the stuff you make to earn the money back, or you can just make the stuff you want to make as a hobby, see it as a hobby. If you want to do the occasional market or have an Etsy shop or something like that, just because you might get the occasional sale or maybe you like being part of the community, then that's cool too. But you may need to work as well, you know, get a job, get a part-time job or a full-time job if the financial side of it is something that you need, right? The thing to remember about this, and I think a lot of people come up against it, is business is not always fun. Your hobby was fun. You did it for fun or you're doing it for fun. You really enjoy it. You get to do whatever you want whenever you want. There's no external pressure to get stuff done by a certain time or to a certain design style. But the moment that you change, the moment that it becomes a business, and especially when it becomes a business that you need to make money from because it is your livelihood, that completely changes your relationship with your craft. It is no longer something you do for fun or just for fun. You should still, hopefully you still enjoy it. Although, real talk, there will be times where you don't. Uh, when you've been doing it for 10 years or however many years it is, there will be times where you are sick of it. And just like anything in life, you get bored with it or you get frustrated. You know, you're making the same thing for the 500th time. You're like, what am I doing with myself, with my life? Why am I doing this? And then that's where you have to come back to your why and go, okay, well, why am I doing this? Like, honestly, 
could I earn this money doing something else? And would that make me happier? And the answer might be yes. And if the answer is yes, then that's okay. Like, don't feel like you're a failure because you've reached a point where you want to make the decision for your hobby to go back to just being a hobby and get a job. Like, there's no, there's this, you know, sort of idea out there that, oh, if you're not an entrepreneur, if you're not a business owner, like, you have to be hustling you don't. Like, you don't necessarily have to do things that way. If it doesn't suit you, if it doesn't fulfill you, if it's not the right choice for you, it's not the right choice for everybody. A lot of business is the daily grind, you know. It's boring, repetitive stuff that isn't fun, but is 100% necessary. If you don't want that, just have a hobby. Um, I I do want to just add that one thing I would like to say to people and this is a big issue in the industry is the people who are just hobbyists often will vastly underprice their work. And that is a huge problem across the board because if customers expect things to be that cheap, then the professionals can never make a living. So as a, you know, as something nice to do for the rest of the community, if you're not relying on that income, if you're just running a hobby business, please do still price your work as if you were running a business, because that means that everybody hopefully will be on the same sort of level with their pricing and you won't be undercutting the people who really do rely on that money to survive. So yeah, at the end of the day, it's obviously a personal decision, but If business doesn't light you up and doesn't excite you and you don't feel um, energized by it, uh, like I'm saying, not always. There's always going to be those repetitive tasks that are boring, you know, sending the email every week or making sure that you pin those pins to Pinterest, um, wrapping up stuff to ship it out, going to the post office. All of that stuff can can get a bit grinding after a long time. But if business itself, like the process of learning and growing and experimenting with the business, if that doesn't interest you at all, business maybe isn't for you. Uh, unless you can partner with somebody else who can help you do all of that sort of stuff. And if you can, or you can hire someone to do that sort of stuff for you. But at the end of the day, generally speaking, when you have a handmade business, it's you're the prime mover. You know, you're the person moving it forward. Um, for a bit more on this, go back and listen to my most recent interview with Kath um, of My Bit of Pigeon. It's an episode where we're sensibly talking about, um, like, talking about your personal beliefs on as part of your business. So she's a, you know, she um, talks a lot about social justice issues on her business pages and stuff. But she also mentions, you know, she's been doing her business for many years. And she's always kept her um, part-time job as a social worker on the side. And she's actually reached the point where she's thinking about, like she's kind of winding down her business a little bit because she's sort of moving on to other creative pursuits. And she can do that because she has a part-time job and she has other, um, you know, ways that income's coming in. So those are all options. And what you decide today is not what necessarily you're going to do forever. So I hope that helped, Lynn. Thank you so much for your question. Okay, so our second question is very related to that, and that's why I wanted to, to answer it now. This question is from Jamie, and she says, um, I'm feeling, oop, I feel like I've lost my making mojo lately. My kids are almost both in school, and I'm feeling the pressure to get a real job. Very strong inverted commas. <laughs> the idea of building my business to the point of being financially viable seems daunting. Um, it feels like I'm nearing that crossword 
crossroads moment where I need to make a choice, go all in on my handmade biz or keep it semi-productive, but closer to a hobby level. I know this is a decision that I can only make myself, but do you have any advice, things to consider, questions to ask myself that could help with this big decision? So kind of basically everything I've just said there. And this might, the reason I also included this question is because this might be a crossroads you find yourself at. Like if you have, you know, say you've had kids at home and you've been working on your your business kind of at a hobby part-time level while you've been taking care of them, but now they're going to school. Or maybe you've been running it while you've had a full-time job. Maybe you've been running it on the side. And you either want to maybe retire or you want to switch careers and you're like, well, maybe I should just throw myself into this business. So pretty much everything I have talked about there applies. I just want to, I just really want to point out this, this part where Jamie says, the idea of building my business to the point of being financially viable seems daunting. It is daunting. (laughs) I was listening to another podcast today um, and they were t- it's the Creative Introvert Podcast. If you've never heard of that podcast, go have a listen to it. I listen to it every so often. And there was an episode today where her guest was talking about the fact that when we run this sort of independent business, like a, you know, r- making handmade jewellery or a service-based online business or something like that, we have this weird idea that we should be making money hand over fist like really quickly, whereas the people who start a restaurant or a cafe or any other sort of brick and mortar retail store, there's a completely different mindset. Like they're in the mindset that "Mm, I'm not going to be making a profit for the first three to five years. And then after that, I'll be making, hopefully if the business works well, I'll be making a big profit. Uh, They get loans, they get some sort of financing to afford to get it all started. And it's a completely different mindset to what we have. Like we have this idea that I can just open an Etsy shop, throw my stuff in there. And six months later, I'm going to be making heaps of money. Not to say that doesn't happen. Of course, it does happen to a few very lucky people who have this combination of a really awesome product. They've worked their butts off, uh, luck (laughs) and timing. All of those things come together for people who uh, become really successful really quickly. And generally speaking, those people have learned lessons previously. Like maybe they've run another business or uh, they've been to business school or something that gives them a, a leg up. Um, with running a business, they have some sort of idea. But for the normal person like you and I, or maybe not, maybe you're one of those people, and if so, awesome. But if you're like me, <laughs> I had very little idea. I, I, The only business education I ever had was on-the-job education in my last job, where I was a manager of a tuition centre, and you know they sent me to a couple of conferences. My boss mentored me a little bit. I had no experience with business at all before that. You know, I had no idea what I was doing when it came to that side of things. So they took a chance on me and, and taught me. And I found some elements of it I really enjoyed. And so some of the stuff I learned from that job paid off and was useful. But the vast majority of what I learned, I learned as I was running my business and as I was growing my business. And that takes time. Like years. <laughs> years and years, probably, if you don't have any foundation in it to learn everything that you have to learn and really push things forward. Now, you can speed that up by doing something like taking a course, you know, 
people who've taken my setup shop course, 30 days to kind of go through everything you need to do to set up uh, a really stellar online shop, or the people who have my Thriver Circle, who've signed up for my Your Year to Thrive, which is a year-long course, which basically teaches you everything <laughs> about handmade business. So, I mean, that's a year-long course, right? Like, that's not for people who are fly-by-nighters. It's for people who understand that it takes time and that I'm willing to invest the time. And you have to be willing to invest the time. I would say to you, Jamie, like, again, I can't answer this for you, but what I would suggest, if you can, if you're in a financial situation where you're able to do it, give it six months to a year when your kids are in school and just go all out. Like, seriously, work as, you know, work full time, work five days a week, uh, really dive into the business side of things, really learn, really work hard. You know, if you've been running it for a few years as a hobby, you should have some sort of pretty solid foundation of a body of work, you know, a a product, a set of products. Um, Hopefully you've done all the work to set up. Now, I know know who this is, but she only put her first name, so I'm not going to go into detail what her products are. Uh, But I know that you have been doing it for a while and you have like, you know, shop set up and stuff like that. So all of those things really work together and they really get you a leg up. And if it just is the difference between kind of working in a couple of hours every now and again when your kids are asleep or, you know, otherwise occupied, it's a completely different ball game when you're working full time on it. So I would say give it six months to a year if you can. If you're in that circumstance that Jamie's in, if you have that time to devote to it and you can financially um, afford it, if you can't, there might be a compromise. Can you get a, a part-time job where you work two days a week or three days a week and then the other few days of a week um, you're getting, you're working on your business? So there can be sort of middle ground here. Now, if it's personal pressure, like if you feel the pressure to get a job, then that could be a way around that as well. Just get a part-time thing that's only a couple of days a week and spend the rest of your time really devoted to your business. But if you can give it the time, give it the time and kind of see what happens and if you can make it happen then that's pretty awesome frankly I think and you won't know until you try it really there really is no way to know if a business is going to be successful until you give it all you've got and give it the time to grow naturally so good luck Jamie all right so I have another great question here. It's quite a long one, so bear with me. From Catherine De Silva, and she is uh, the lady behind the handmaker's bag. So she says this, I've been a member of the Thrive Circle for over a year, and I've listened to the podcast for even longer. It's one of my favorites, and I look forward to every new episode. Oh, thank you, Catherine. <laughs> I didn't read all this question before I started, just a little bit. My question is, how do you keep up the motivation? I quit my full-time job last year and now work from home full-time in my business. My problem is finding a consistent flow and staying motivated. I go through periods where I'm highly motivated and make lots of plans and put things into play, and then I lose motivation and momentum and don't always go through with the plans I made when I was highly motivated. Hands up, who has been in that situation? I'm literally putting my hand up in the air right now. I know what this feeling is like. For example, I'll plan to have a shop update and add new items to my shop, but then I'm not motivated enough to make the new products and it will take me longer than anticipated, so I'll keep pushing the deadline and the update back. This isn't always the case. I'm actually a very motivated state at the moment and I've just added several new things to my shop and will be adding more very soon. But that is after two months of non-motivation. 
I know one of the keys to being successful is to be consistent, but not having someone looking over my shoulder telling me you better get that done. While it's one of the reasons I choose to do this, it's also a big hurdle in working from home. Yes, it is. And I love this bit. And my co-workers, my two pugs, Zoe and Lola, are not very encouraging either. I think they like naps too much. (laughs) Any tips you have on keeping motivated and having a more consistent output would be appreciated. That is an freaking excellent question, Catherine. Thank you so much. Um, so I've got a lot to say on this issue. And I, first of all, I want to say that I know exactly what this feels like. I have been running my businesses for yeah over 10 years now. You absolutely go through these periods where you just can't be asked. Basically, like I'm going to be honest with you, and there are times where you just don't want to do it. You don't want to do the work. You don't feel the motivation. And I think it's a bit like a relationship. You know, that first six months, year to two years, everything's really exciting and new and fun and you can't get enough of each other. And then, you know, fast forward 20 years of marriage, sure, you love each other, but that initial spark and excitement always goes. For those of you who um, aren't aware of it, there's actually a term for this in relationship. It's called limerence. It's it's absolutely normal period of time where Everything is new and fresh and exciting, and that always wears off, no matter what. Same with your business. You go through a limerence period (laughs) with your business, this sort of really being passionate and super in love with it. And then over time, the novelty wears off, and you find yourself working almost like a job. You know, it becomes a job. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. What's important though is that you do figure out ways to recoup that motivation and using the kind of analogy with a relationship, absence is one of those ways. So having a break, having a really, really good break. Now, for those of you who have transitioned to working full-time like Catherine and myself, when you had a job... Now, I know this is different in different countries and in the US, you guys don't get a great deal of uh, vacation time, but here in Australia, you know, you get four weeks a year or whatever it is, four to six weeks a year, more if you're in certain careers. And there's a rhythm, you know, you get public holidays off, you get Christmas break off. There's these times, there's these cycles in the year where you know that there's going to be a break, there's going to be downtime and you look forward to that and it's an important part of things. The minute you start completely being self-employed, none of that exists anymore. (laughs) Like the amount of times my friends have like said, oh, blah, 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 this week, this, you know, can we come visit and stay Monday? I'm like, why? And they're like, well, it's a long weekend. And I'm like, oh, I I have no idea. Like I have no idea when when public holidays are because they don't affect me anymore. Really? I think, I think this was one day when I literally like went to go to the shops and totally was oblivious to the fact it was a public holiday and everything was shut. So things like that, you lose track of those. And especially coming from education, um, you know, I was in school for, wow, 16 years, something like that. (laughs) No, even longer because I did 12, you know, well, I did a couple of years before school because I'm an only child. My mum, you know, sent me to uh, to kindergarten early and play group and things like that. Then I went to school for 12 years and I did a four-year degree. Then I took a year off to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Then I went back and did another two-year degree. And then I was a teacher. Uh, Then I worked in education all the way up until I quit my job and and worked in my business. So when you work in that industry, especially, you have really, really awesome 
cycles. There's terms. You've got four terms a year here in Australia, and you know you get a big break between each one. And there's every term has a cycle. You know, the, you do this work at the beginning, this work in the middle, and that work at the end. And it's it's kind of comforting. Uh, you don't have any of that when you're self-employed. You have to make it for yourself. And I think something that a lot of people do is that they just work and work and work and work and work and work and never stop. And then a year or two goes by and they just completely burn out, lose all interest in what they're doing because they never gave themselves any downtime. And this is why having scheduled holidays, scheduled downtime and scheduled cycles in your working life is really important. You know, I was that person. The first year in my business, I worked like 16 hours a day, seven days a week. It was ridiculous. I was so unhealthy. I didn't take care of anything else. I was obsessive, which in some ways is good in that I made a lot of progress (laughs) in my business in that first year. But my health suffered. My mental health and my physical health suffered. Uh, Other aspects of my life suffered. Thank goodness I had a very supportive husband who basically kept me alive, um, you know, fed me and washed my clothes and cleaned the house while I just crazily worked on all this stuff. To be fair, he didn't have a job at the time, so, you know, it's not like he was doing two jobs. Um, but I learned that lesson the hard way. You need breaks. You need to take weekends, you know, at least one day a week, have a day off. Get these cycles and these rhythms back into your life. Have... Working hours, you know, start at a certain time, stop at a certain time. Don't be constantly working all the time. Yes, there will be exceptions to that when you're doing a launch or something like that where you have to work extra hours. But then the opposite of that is those quiet weeks where everything's working like clockwork, you can work shorter days. So just realize that there are those cycles and try to consciously create them. Um, Like I have a sabbatical, I aim for twice a year where I have a complete week off. So I do nothing to do with work. I don't get on the internet. It's a complete break. And I had I didn't do that for many years. It's only the last few years I've been doing that. And it makes a huge difference to my motivation um, because it gives me time to just, just proper downtime to actually have a rest and let my brain kind of fly. You know, I, I often come up with so many ideas during that time because I'm not constantly caught up with the day-to-day of my business. So my creative side is is free to kind of jump all over the place and come up with heaps of new ideas. So it's really, really valuable to my business as well. Um, other things you can do uh, is kind of plan the jobs. Like I think everybody has a natural creative cycle and it can vary. But if you know you have a certain, if you, if you have enough data, you know, you've been doing it for long enough and you realize that, well, this time of the, uh, maybe if you're female as well, like me, I'm going to be honest here, at a certain time of the month when my energy is low, I plan to have like a day off or a really uh, quiet day where I only do the absolute minimum work. Because I know from many, many years of experience that that one day a month, I feel awful and I have very little energy and I'm in pain and uh, one of the benefits of working for myself is that I can go, okay, well, that's a down day. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna plan anything or schedule anything important for that day. So there might be cycles in your life as well. Um, if you're a woman, that one might work for you. If you're not, then it might not, but you can come up with your own cycles and actually work with those. And, and those times where you feel a lack of motivation, just realize it's not going to last forever. It is not going to last forever. There are those lulls where you will feel a lack of motivation, but 
it generally will pick up again at some point. So Catherine said an interesting point here about, you know, she had a couple of months of non-motivation, now she's super motivated. And that is pretty normal. Um, I think, you know, the myth, I talked about this a little bit in the last answers, but there's this myth that creative business will always be this fun, you know, you, you, you see everyone on Instagram and they're all like sitting in their studios making beautiful things. And <laughs> that is not the full story. You know, that is part of it. Absolutely. And there's times where you feel that huge creative push and you're really excited and you've got all these new ideas, but there are also times where you don't and you're not creating all day, every day. That's absolutely bunk. You know, I, I always say that, especially in the first few years, something like 80% of your time is working on the business, not making stuff. You know, you've got to send the emails and all that sort of stuff. Social media, you've got to organize your supplies, you've got to do your bookkeeping, you've got to um, do your stock taking, all of that stuff that's vital to business. So one of the things you can do is schedule those kind of boring-ish tasks for when you don't have a lot of creative motivation. You can get them done then. But I know that sometimes creative lack of creative motivation can mean lack of motivation in in full, like completely. And at that point in time, there is only one thing I can say to you, and that is you've got to just do the work anyway. You just have to do the work anyway because, you know, if it is your livelihood, you don't really have a choice. Um, you just have to just get up and go sit down at your desk or sit down at your workstation and just get it done. Uh, You can maybe reward yourself, you know, say, okay, I really don't feel like doing this this week. I just do not feel like, you know, I don't feel like making these new designs. I'm just not in the mood. Okay. What, what do I really feel like doing? Do I feel like going to the beach? Do I feel like taking myself out to brunch? Do I feel like getting a massage? Do I feel like reading that new book I've been wanting to read? Give it to yourself as a reward. Okay, I can do the thing I really want to do once I have done this other thing I really have to do. And another aspect of that, of course, is just being a professional. You know, when you have a job, you don't, God, how often do you not feel like going to work? you have a job probably a lot hopefully less uh you know when you have your own business because you can craft it the way you want it to be so you hopefully most of the time you you're pretty happy with how it's going but there will always be times when not so much and you just have to be a professional and and get it done you know you hear a lot of um a lot of stories from writers and stuff like that who and professional artists who just say well yeah i can't just i can't wait for inspiration to strike I sit down every day and I write 500 words and it might be crap or it might be brilliant, but no matter what, I sit down and I write 500 words. So that might be what works for you, just making it a habit and making it important, making it a priority and, and saying, okay, well, what else would I be doing? If I wasn't doing this, what would I have to be doing? I tell you what, that motivates me. If I, <laughs> When I feel that lack of motivation, I just all I need to do is think if I wasn't doing this, what would I have to be doing instead? And I would have to be working a job. And because of my um, my background and experience, that would probably have to be as a school teacher. And I really don't want to go back to that. So that's enough motivation. Like it's negative motivation, sure, but it still works. It's still something that you can go. And it's realistic. You know, that's absolutely true. If I don't get my work done, 
I have to go get a job or Nick has to go get a job. You know, all of those sorts of things. Think about those sorts of things. And hopefully within that, you will find your motivation to keep on going. All right, so we've, we're about halfway, uh, half an hour in. I'm going to answer a couple more quick questions and then I'm going to wrap this baby up. Before I do finish uh, those questions, I just want to say, let me know if you enjoyed this Q&A episode. Um, you know, come over and tag me on Instagram at Create and Thrive. Take a screenshot, share it on your stories. Uh, DM me over there or send me an email, jess at createandthrive.com and let me know if you enjoyed it. And if you have questions you would like me to answer on a future podcast, send them in, baby, send them in. And I would love to answer those for you. Hopefully I can continue making these Q&A shows on a semi-regular basis. All right. Louisa has this question. Hi, Jess. I'm really trying to get my folksy shop off the ground within the next couple of weeks. And I'm working on my own website, hopefully to be published in the next couple of months. I'm a bit worried as at the moment, I don't have that many products to sell around 15. I'm currently working on more products, but don't want to wait any longer. Should I just go for it and open my shop or do I need more products? Thank you. Louisa, you should open your shop. (laughs) You should absolutely open your shop. And just add products as you go. The time to experiment is when nobody's watching. And at the beginning, nobody is watching. So this is the time to just make stuff, put it in your shop, see what sells, see what people are being drawn to, what people are enjoying. And, you know, don't wait. The sooner you get started, the sooner you can start collecting that data, the sooner you can start getting traffic and building up a reputation and um, letting people know about your business. It's not going to be perfect in the beginning, and that's okay. It's never going to be perfect. Just, yeah, secret tip here, nothing's ever perfect. (laughs) No business is ever perfect, and you are never finished. So start now. Open your shop. Get it open. Get your products that you've made in there. But then, you know, I really really, uh, encourage you to continue with the making more products thing, especially considering the question we just had earlier from Catherine, you know, if you're going through a really exciting, that limerence phase of your business, that is the time to really be making as much as you can and experimenting and creating new products and having fun with it and getting stuff up for sale and seeing what works. So absolutely open, get your stuff in there, keep making products and good luck. I hope it's fantastic. All right. So the final question I'm going to do today is uh, this one from Daniela, and it is how to overcome the feelings or the fear of not being enough. So she says, as in, what if I'm not, not skillful enough, not talented enough, not good enough? We all feel this. Uh, it's a huge issue for a lot of people, this feeling of not being good enough. And uh, we talked about it recently on the Business of Making podcast, so go over there and have a look for that. We, you know, it's imposter syndrome. We have a whole episode <laughs> on what to do when you feel like an imposter. But a few quick tips here. We all feel like this at times. I feel like it at times. Nobody is really immune from this. It's just that people are really good at hiding it, and some people are really good at doing it stuff anyway. So something I always like to say is you've got to have courage, and courage is not – a lack of fear. Courage is having, is feeling the fear and then doing it anyway. So it's like a muscle. The more you try, the more courage, you know, the more risks you take and the more things you try, you build up that courage muscle. So, you know, uh, 
there can be some truth to this as well. Let's let's just get that out of the way. Maybe you aren't as skillful as the next person. Maybe uh, you're not talented as an, as the other person at this point in time. And on that imposter syndrome uh, episode, I have a really awesome quote. I think it's from Ira Glass. Some of you may be familiar with it, where he talks about the the gap between uh, your eye, like your aesthetic, like you 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 see something and you know it's good, but you aren't quite capable of creating that yet. Like, <laughs> and the only way to get past that point is to just do the work and do it over and over and over again until you do get to that point where your actual output matches your vision of what's possible. So for some of us, you might be in that stage where you have a, you know, a really good sense of style. You have a, uh, you know exactly what you want to achieve, but you're not quite at the point where you can achieve it. The only way is by keeping on going and keeping trying and keeping experimenting. But for most of us, this feeling comes up and it's just our brains lying to us. Basically, it's uh, socialization, the, the 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 lessons we've taken in from other people throughout our entire lives, from when we're very small, about our worth and our value. And you know, some of us are lucky, and we like I'm very lucky. I was raised in a family where my parents always said to me, "You can do anything you want to do. We believe in you, and we'll be proud of you no matter what you do with your life." So there was never pressure on me to do any particular thing, um, and there was always support that you are you are smart, um, you are capable, and you are competent, and we know that you'll be able to do whatever you put your mind to. And a little dash of from my mother, always dance to the beat of your own drum. <laughs> That's one lesson she taught me um, from a very young age is you have to be you and do what you think is right, and don't be afraid of being a little different, don't be afraid of not being one of the of the herd, so to speak. Uh, don't be afraid of standing out. And in certain places like Australia is one of them, you know, we have this very much a tall poppy syndrome idea that if you if you stick your neck up too high, you'll get cut down because other people will be jealous. And all of these things might be playing into your feelings of um, not being good enough. You might think, well, I don't have a formal education in my art or my craft, so I'm not good enough tell you what right now I have no formal business education I have no formal jewelry training well I lie I had one weekend literally one weekend of silversmith training that is it everything else I've learned myself with the help of others obviously but not formally in a kind of a formal structure it's through experimentation and trial and error so basically you just have to look at the reality of things and say, okay, well, that's not true. You have to challenge the thought. Challenge the thought the thought that you're not good enough, that you're not talented enough, that you're not enough. Challenge it with, you know, real real life. You know, look at your experiences. Look at what you've achieved. Look at what you have done. Look at your stuff. That, what do other people say about it? You know, if you've been getting compliments on your work, probably not they're probably not lying to you <laughs> hopefully not um if you compare your work to other people's it should hopefully be at some level of on par and if it's not maybe you do need to do a bit more work and a little bit more experimenting and a little bit more get a little bit more practice at your craft or your art before you think about starting a business and that's fine but don't let not being perfect or not being top of the, of the pile stop you 
And if you're feeling if you're feeling a lot of this because you are <laughs> looking at a lot of uh, very successful people on Instagram, for example, maybe put it down for a while. Maybe unfollow them, especially if they're in your your niche and you're comparing yourself to them. Just stop it. Stop looking at what they're doing for a while um, and take that out of the equation and focus back in on you, what your gifts are, what you're, um, what you're bringing to the world and what you want to create and focus in on what you're capable of rather than comparing yourself to what other people are capable of. And always remember that those like social media and all of that sort of stuff, people are showing their best. They're not showing you necessarily the 90% of the time where things aren't perfect. So remember that as well. Good luck, Daniela. I hope that helped. And I hope that helped everybody else as well. So like I said, that's only six. I've got many more questions, but I'm going to hold off on answering them till another episode. I hope you enjoyed that, everybody. And I just want to send a huge thank you to every single one of you for listening to this show over the last four years. Um, you know, it's really, it's really an honor to be able to share this with you, to share my knowledge with you, to share other people's stories with you and know that it helps. So extra special thanks to every single person who has ever sent me an email or written a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Korean Thrive Facebook page or tagged me on Instagram stories or left me a message on Instagram that they that you enjoy the show and you know it, every single one of them just makes me so happy because I know that this show is making a difference and it's really helping people and that is why I do it. So thank you to everyone who's taken a few minutes of their time to give me that feedback. It really makes a big difference. And double, special, triple, super duper thank you goes out to everyone who has uh, supported me some way financially who has invested in one of my products. If you bought an ebook or an e-course or you've joined the Thriver Circle um, or you've taken a shop critique with me, whatever it may be, thank you. I wouldn't be here without you. Without your support, this podcast, this free podcast, wouldn't be here every week for people to listen to. It's only through the support of people who do invest in me in those ways that this podcast is made possible. As you know, if you're a long-time listener, I never, ever run ads on this show and I don't intend to ever run ads on this show. Uh, so the only financial... Uh, the only way that this is financially viable is by running my other uh, elements of my business. So thank you to everybody who has chosen to invest in me uh, as your mentor, as your guide, as your teacher at one time or another over the last however many years it's been since I've been doing this. <laughs> since 2013, technically, I've been running Create and Thrive. The podcast obviously came a few years later. So thank you. I couldn't do it without you. You are the absolute bomb. And I'll be back again with another episode next week for everybody. Uh, and thank you for being here. Thank you to everyone who gave me questions. To all of you whose questions didn't get answered, they are in a spreadsheet and I will hopefully get to them in the future. So thank you for taking the time to give me those questions. And I hope you have a fantastic week. Oh, and remember, if you haven't already, go get my free Etsy quick start guide over at createandthrive.com forward slash Etsy guide two-page checklist and not only is it a checklist it's filled with like tons of links to other resources I've created and all sorts of aspects of the different elements of, of setting up your shop so go grab that now createandthrive.com forward slash etsy guide thank you so much for being here I'll be back again soon
Bye for now. 